How many smartphones? I can't see. Yeah? Yeah, I'm sure your hands are up. <laughs> I got a smartphone. How many of you guys feel that way sometimes with your phone? Let's say you forget your phone at home and you go to school and you get to school and you're like, ah! Like, do you feel like, oh no, how will I survive today? I might die because I don't have my phone. Some of you guys are like, no, until we take your phone away. You know how I know that you would act that way? Because when we go on a retreat and we're like, don't bring your phones, you're like, oh, what am I going to do? Like, you freak out because you're like, I need my phone every second of the day. But it's really cool all the stuff our phones do, right? They do a whole lot of stuff. And it's almost to the point where, like, we even say, like, there's commercials that joke about it. Like, there's an app for that. Like, they literally do just about everything. And... As I think about my phone and I feel like there have been days I've left it at home and I've got to work and I'm like, oh no, can I even survive the day? Should I drive all the way back to Palm Bay just to get my phone? Um, because I almost feel like helpless, you know, like I, I can't do all the things that I'm supposed to be and expected to do today without my phone. And it's that very feeling that I want to talk about tonight a little bit as we're reading this passage that we're going to look at because it, we've been talking over the last few weeks about a series called In Need, right? And we've been talking about this need that you and I have and that really everybody in this world has. But that there's a lot of people who don't even recognize that they have a big need. And this need that we've discussed over and over again over the past few weeks is the fact that you and I are sinners, that there's no way we'll ever be able to be good enough to make it to heaven on our own. There's no works that we can do. There's no way we can please God or make God happy enough with us to say, hey, Rob, you're good enough now. Sweet, you've, you've reached the mark. I'm going to let you go to heaven. And so if there's no possible way that I'm ever going to be able to make it to heaven when I die on my own, I need something to help me do that. I need something really big that's so much bigger than myself. That's what we've been talking about. This good news that Jesus fills that need for us. This big gaping hole that I have in my heart that says, Rob, you'll never make it. You'll never be good enough. Jesus comes along and says, guess what? I know you have this humongous need, and your iPhone's never going to do it for you. Your works are never going to do it for you. Your money, your popularity, nothing. Only I can fill that need for you. And we talked about how it's really important that you and I, we have to start off by saying, yeah, you're right. I am in need. We have to recognize that we really do have a big need. And until we notice that, we're never going to find the solution for it. We'll never even look for Jesus because we don't think we need Jesus. Like, we don't think we need anything. We're good. We're fine. We're going to go through life and we're going to have success and we're going to have money and a family and all this stuff is going to just work out and my life will be fine. And the same thing will happen one day when I die. That'll kind of take care of itself. There's no reason to even think about it right now. And so we never end up looking or even acknowledging that there actually is this huge need that you and I have that we'll never, ever be able to take care of on our own. And only Jesus can fill that need, that brokenness of sin that separates us from our God who created us and loves us. And only Jesus can come in and say, I'm what you need. I'm the one who can fulfill that. And so here's what I wanted us to look at tonight in John chapter 5, if you want to look there. We're going to look at verses 1 to 15. That video was cool to me because it, it sometimes summarizes the way I look at our culture and our world and sometimes my own life. Like, as long as I have the things in my life, this technology that I have and my education and all these things, I'm good. 
Like every, everything I need is on my iPhone. Like I can almost take care of everything on my own, literally with just my iPhone. Now, that's a silly illustration, but it's kind of also something else. It kind of describes our culture today. You were born into it. How many of you guys were born when computers already existed? Everybody, pretty much everybody, raise your hands, right? You were born in a computer age. You were born in an age where man was already walking on the moon. You realize that? There was a dude who actually put his feet on another planet or object or whatever. That's not Earth, right? And we live in that place. We live in the space coast, Like, we live in an area and in a culture and in a time where unbelievable, unimaginable things have been attained. We have people in our own church who could come tell you stories that 20 years ago would be considered absolutely, like, just so far out we wouldn't even listen to it. That could never happen. And these people have helped make those things happen. Unbelievable accomplishments. And what it's done in us is that if we don't keep seeking Jesus and our need for Jesus in all of this, we could almost look at some of that stuff and say, man, we're so good. Look at how intelligent we are. Look at how accomplished we are, how progressive we are. And we start to think we don't need anything. What could man not accomplish on our own? Like, look at what we're capable of. And you guys are who I fear most for because you guys are growing up in the center of that heartbeat of a culture that says, hey, listen, we can do anything we put our minds to. You know what that does to us? That makes us think that we don't need anyone or anything else because we can put our minds to it and accomplish it. And we grow up believing that and thinking that to the point where sometimes we might even be so convinced of that that we don't even think we need Jesus. We might be so ignorant of our own real need of a savior, thinking we could do all this on our own. Look at what we've accomplished. And so tonight I want us to look, if you look there with me, John chapter 5. We're going to read 15 verses there real quick. And it, it says this, it says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. Is it not lawful for you to take up your bed? But he answered them, the man who healed me, That man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is this man who said that to you? Take up your bed and walk. Then the man who had been healed didn't know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you're well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. 
I want to draw your attention right away to this guy. There's this invalid guy who cannot walk. He spent 38 years of his life, double what most of you guys have lived to this point. And he wasn't able to walk. There's this guy who would lay by these fountains and basically beg. That, that was his existence. There was no way for him to go to work. He couldn't go carve stones or be a carpenter or go build houses. He couldn't do those type of things that normal people did in this, in this day to make money. He couldn't have a family and support a family. His lot in life, as someone who was a lame man who couldn't walk, was you lay there, stay by that fountain, and as people walk by, beg, and hopefully they'll have mercy on you. Hopefully they'll reach into their pocket and they'll feel bad for you if you ask just the right way. And they'll reach in and they'll give you some coins. And maybe by the end of the day, if you're really good at begging and you're really kind and you make big sad eyes at people when they walk by, maybe you'll have enough to eat that day. And if not, well, I'm sorry. That's your lot in life. So you go lay by that fountain and you hope enough people walk by that you can make some money. There wasn't a whole lot of hope in that. That type of lifestyle probably isn't the type of lifestyle you guys are aiming to get one day as you study and go to school and do your stuff. That's probably not your goal to reach a point where you finally get to just lay by a fountain and beg people all day long, hoping that you'll get enough money to survive. That was this guy's life, and apparently there were a bunch of people by this fountain because the fountain was known for something. When the waters were stirred, if you were to get into this fountain, then there was actually the possibility that you'd be healed. That was the belief of these people. And so at the time, they would lay by this fountain and hope that they could maybe get the opportunity to be healed by entering into this fountain. And people would show up, and they would all do this as this tradition, this practice, to say, I'm sick, I'm going to go to the fountain. I'm going to stir the water, I'm going to go in. Well, now imagine that there's people doing this all day long because it's become like this tradition. It's like what people do. Like you get sick, you go to the fountain. And so there's a line, and here's a guy who can't walk. And he's maybe only 10 feet away from this fountain, but every time he goes to get in the fountain, the line, there's someone else steps in. And so he, he, what's he going to do? Drag himself across the dirt and like plop into the pool? And so he has to just keep waiting, and it turns to this thing where he's just never able to actually get in the fountain, so he just lays there. He's got no one to help him. No one's going to pick him up and help him down the steps. He just lays there, and he just begs in a state of hopelessness. Now, at first thought, you look at this guy and be like, he definitely has to know that he's got a big need in his life. He's got no one to carry him. He's got no one to care for him, no one to bring him down those steps so he can be healed. This guy has a lot of needs. And this guy's life is a mess. Doesn't he realize that? Doesn't he see it? Why doesn't he do something about it? Why would he just be content living a broken, messed up life? How can he really be happy that way? You know, sometimes we look at the people around us. We look at broken people, broken lives, and we go, man, my life would never be like that. How could that person do that? How can they live that way? How can they be happy making those choices? How can they just stay like that and not do something about it? And we think like, man, I would never do that. Not me. Jesus is about to talk to this guy. 
And it's really neat because the first thing he asks this man as he lays there in his hopelessness and his brokenness is a question that you and I need to ask ourselves. As we look at this topic of having need in our lives, Jesus looks you in the eyes and he says, do you want to be healed? I mean, we might almost think like, done. This is like common sense, Jesus. Doesn't it make sense that this broken dude who's living the most miserable life I can imagine would definitely want to be healed? Why do you even ask him that? Is it rhetorical? Like, what are you doing here, Jesus? But when Jesus looks you in the eyes, maybe tonight, and he peers into your heart, and he asks that same question, do you want to be healed? Maybe it'll hit a little closer to home. Maybe there's those of us here tonight that we're living in a way where over and over there's this sin that keeps popping its ugly head up in our life. And we know it and we see it. And maybe sometimes we even fight against it. But it's got a stronghold on you. And you're no better than this broken man who can't walk laying next to this fountain in a mess because of the sin that's got your life. And maybe nobody knows about it. It's this hidden thing that nobody can see, so you're able to excuse it away. And Jesus looks you in your heart and he goes, hey, listen, don't you want to be healed? Don't you want me to do something? Don't you actually want to see a miracle? You're laying next to the fountain. Why aren't you going into it? You know what these waters can do? You know what they say these waters can do? Why would you just choose to lay there? And it sounds so ridiculous until you look at your own life. Because that's what I did. I looked at the things in my life that need to be dealt with, and I said, man, it's, it seems so ridiculous until I see that. And, and Jesus is like, Rob, but what about this? You're just laying by the fountain. You're doing nothing about it. You're letting this sin, this need exist in your life, and you're not reaching your arms out and saying, Jesus, answer this, fill this need for me, I'm broken. This sin that keeps messing me up, that keeps winning, God, I need freedom from it. I need Jesus to do this work in me. But I'm just laying by the fountain doing nothing. I'm just as ridiculous. Because I have just as big of a need, and I'm just laying there. And he's so good. (laughs) Jesus is so kind to look me in the eyes and say, Rob, do you want to be healed? He didn't say it with condemnation. He didn't yell at him. He wasn't judging him. With a heart of love, Jesus really wants to heal this guy. And so he looks at him and he says, listen, do you know you have a need? Don't you want to be healed? So as we look at this passage, will you stop for a second as we're in the middle of this thing? And will you just think to yourself, just ask God, like, if he were to ask me that question right now, Jesus showed up tonight and he pulled you aside into the hallway and he pulled you close and he looked at you in the eyes and he said, listen, do you want to be healed? You just want to keep messing around with your sin. You want to keep living a life that looks like you're following me, but you're not. 
Or do you seriously want to enter the waters and have a miracle take place in your heart, in your life, and really follow after me? What would you say to him? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to come up out of those waters fixed? (laughs) Or do you want to stay broken? Verse 7, the man gets a chance to talk. We get to hear his heart as he says, says the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down. You ever made excuses? You ever done that? And Jesus is like, don't you want to be healed, dude? And, and the guy's like, but look, Jesus, it's because of this and this and this and this. And so I would do it, but... And I don't have the time right now, Jesus, to really follow you. Do you know how busy my schedule is? you know how many things I have to do? How many things are on my to-do list? You know that I'm struggling with this and I'm really tired and I got this and I got sick last week. And, I, and all of a sudden, these, all these excuses just pop up before Jesus. He's like, listen, do you want to follow me or not? Do you want to give your life to me or not? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be restored? Do you want to look brand new? Like all the things that the gospel, this good news brings to you, do you want that? Or do you want to keep laying there and making excuses why you couldn't get in the pool? Do you want to keep making excuses why you never even tried to stand up on those two broken legs that didn't work and walk again? Remember the good news is that Jesus takes the brokenness from the fall from our sin and he redeems it and says, I'm making you brand new. I want to restore your broken life. I want to take the sin and all of that stuff away and give you a brand new life and make you a new creation. That's the good news, right? How many of us say, yeah, I want that Jesus and then stay right there? And if you'd go back and find me from the day I was saved, you'd still find me laying on the ground, being the same person, still broken, still making excuses. Lord, I got no one to put me in the pool. What do you want me to do here? How do you expect me to change? And we just give all these excuses to Christ of why I haven't really followed you. I haven't really put myself at your feet for you to make me brand new, Lord. We had, I had a friend back in college. <clears throat> Actually, he was just out of college. His name was Mr. Excuses. Uh, no, Mr. Mixcuses is what we called him. It was just a dumb name because we were dumb and we weren't very creative. But we called him Mr. McScuses because he made as many excuses as McDonald's could pump out hamburgers. Like, it was that fast. Like, he was always pumping out excuses for everything. Literally, you wouldn't even be saying anything like that he would need to make an excuse for, but he would feel like he needed to. And so he would give you an excuse. Like, hey, dude, shirt looks great today. Well, you see what happened was. And he'd, like, give you this excuse. Like, I'm complimenting you, man. Like, you don't need an excuse for that. It made no sense. But everything that came out of his mouth just seemed to be an excuse. And so one day this guy was, he was working, he worked with his dad a lot, and um, he, uh, he got a piece of metal lodged into, like one, a splinter of metal lodged into his finger. And it really, it hurt and annoyed him a lot, but he never went to the doctor. Like he would never go to the doctor. And we'd be like, bro, your finger looks really bad. Like you should probably see a doctor. He said, no, no, I'm good. I get too many things going on. And there we'd go with the excuses. And he kept making excuses and excuses. And I remember finally one day, uh, he actually had to go to the hospital and they had to amputate that finger off. The dude lost his finger. I was like, why would you ever do that, man? And he, more excuses. 
I just didn't have time. I don't like doctors. I was scared to go. He just gave me all these excuses. And so finally, it like infected his finger so bad, they had to take his finger off. Like, was that worth it? Was it worth all the excuses? You're like, that guy's an idiot, right? Like, that's what you think until you start to look and say, how many excuses do I make? Am I one of those Mr. McScuses guys? And every time, like, something comes up where Jesus is like, hey, why don't you talk to that person who looks like they're really down right now? Why don't you just kind of go over and see if you can be a friend? Man, but Jesus, you know, really nervous. I'm a shy person. I don't really do that. Jesus is like, hey, listen, I really want you to consider giving of your finances to something bigger than yourself. I want you to pray about doing that. And you're like, but Lord, you know, like I'm, I'm in high school. I don't make much money. I work really hard for my money. And I don't know. And you come up, you name it. You name the situation. And things are probably already coming to your head where God's been like, hey, listen, this is what I'm calling you to do. And you're like, but Lord, you know, I'm speaking out of experience telling you something that I know very well myself. It's easy to have excuses. It's easy to tell God why you can't do something when Jesus is walking up to you, looking you in the face and saying, get up. Don't you want to be healed? Would you take your excuses and throw them to the ground and just follow me and obey and say, yes, Lord, here I go. And so that's what this guy does. He's caught up his excuses. He's still laying by the pool Verse 8, Jesus says to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. It's almost like, let's just cut through all of this. Let's just forget all the excuses you're making and the stories you're telling and feeling bad for yourself as you lay there. And let's just get to the brass tacks of this thing that you need to get up. Stop telling me why you can't. Now, here you have the son of God. The very one who created everything in existence, standing before you in the flesh. And you're telling him why you can't do something? How's that any different from you and I? Who tonight we're here and most of us have said, I believe in Jesus. And you know him so personally that he dwells inside of you. That's how personal you know him. More intimate than you know any other human being. They don't live in you, right? You got to give me that one. And you're looking at him going, you know, I just don't know. And he's looking right back in your face and he's saying, listen, tonight, I'm telling you to stop making excuses. Stop laying on the floor by the well and I want you to get up. I want you to get up. I want you to carry your bed. You're not going to hobble along. You're going to be strong enough to stand on those legs that don't work. Carry this bed on your back and I want you to walk. I want you to crawl. I want you to limp. I want you to walk. He's not calling us to something small. He's calling us to something huge. And it's not just the physical body that he's talking about with this guy. He's saying, your heart, I want it all. I want it all. Even if you never walked again, I want all of your heart because that's what matters. And he says, get up, take up your bed and walk. What he's doing is he's calling them to action. You see, the Christian life is a life of action. Sometimes we just sit around and we're like, we're just waiting on Jesus and waiting on Jesus to do things. And Jesus is like, I'm already here. I'm standing right in front of you. And guess what? I've called you to do something already. And you're still listening like this, like he hasn't said a word. What's Jesus called us to do? 
He says, go make disciples. Go make disciples. How many of us are obeying? How many of us tonight can actually say that we're out making disciples? That we got up from next to the pool and said, thank you, God, for for rescuing me. Thank you, God, for taking my brokenness and healing me. But I'm just going to go sit back down. And he's like, no, no, I'm calling you to action. You've already heard from me. This isn't a waiting game anymore. I've said get up and go. I've told you what to do. Will you obey me or not? Are you going to make disciples? Are you going to go love people? Are you going to open your life up to people that you don't even know? Because God might have a plan there to use you to do something in their life. Are you loving each other well? Are you saying, God, I'm going to be on your mission that you've given me as a believer. I'm going to make disciples. I'm going to love the people around me. I want to challenge you guys. Look at your life. Look at the things that you're doing right now, how you're living. Will you give yourself an honest assessment? I'm not asking you to come talk to me later and confess all your deepest, darkest secrets, but I'm asking you to do that in your own heart. I want you to confess to yourself those deepest, darkest secrets and be honest with yourself and say, am I actually making disciples? Is there one person even in my life that I can say that I'm really reaching out to with the gospel of Jesus because it's really good news? Do I have people in my life like that? Or am I still laying by the well, making excuses why I can't do it? So there's this cool thing that happens when you really believe it, when this good news really is good. I was, um, you guys know I have a tractor, right? Justin and I do tractor work sometimes. We were on a job a couple days ago, and I have a John Deere, right? John Deere Green, the best tractor in the world. You guys are so excited. Anyway, so I am. I love my tractor. And so we're out. We were doing some work, and um, we're plowing up some ground. And I'm on the tractor. Justin's behind the tractor, uh, minding the plow and stuff. And I'm going, and I'm just scooting away, and I'm digging up the ground, having fun, sitting on my tractor, singing like, John Deere Green, and just having fun, dude. It's so much fun. And so I'm looking back, just kind of checking, make sure Justin didn't fall in a hole or something back there, fall asleep, and because uh, I'm doing all the work usually. And um, so I, I look back, and I see this, like, it looks like something's falling off the, my tractor has this little, like, hood, this, like, roof thing to cover me from the sun, and I, it looked like something was falling off. And I look back a couple times, like, uh-oh, you know, I'm going to have to fix that. And finally, once I see it move a lot, so I turn around, and as I turn around, there is this snake just like right here by my head, and it's like we're nose to nose. I'm way too intimate with the snake at this point. I'm like, I don't want to be this close to you. And he's like, I'm like, like, what are you trying to do to me? Like, no means no, you know, like back up. And so I'm freaking out because I don't know how many of you guys would expect to see a snake crawling out of the roof thing of like your tractor. I didn't even know there was a hole up there for it to be in. And so I see this snake and like immediately I'm like pop it into neutral and jump off the tractor. Well, Justin thinks I'm pointing at the ground that there's some snake. So he's going like this, like, like, bro, it's me. The snake's right here, dude. And you're worried about yourself like usual, but that's okay. Something else. There's a snake. Like nobody, he didn't have to get up and say, hey, will you please get off the tractor, Rob? There's a snake going to bite your face off. You know, it wasn't like one of those. It was like, I'm off. I'm off this tractor immediately because I believe that thing will bite me in the face and kill me. Right? And so I jump off. It's immediate. There's a belief in my heart that strikes fear in my heart. It says, go, get up and go. There's action involved in that. 
Later on, we grabbed that thing. Justin grabbed the thing, whatever. He had to use pliers to do it because he was too chicken to grab it. And he threw it out. It was a long snake. It was a big snake. I don't know how it got up. I'll explain the story later. There's no time for that now. But there was a snake in my roof. And here's what, here's what I noticed about that action is that nobody had to coax me. Nobody had to, like, plead with me. Nobody had to beg me or get on a stage and explain to me how I needed to really jump off a tractor when a snake was going to bite my face. Like, we didn't have to show up to do that. It was there. It was real. It was this thing that I believed with all my heart, and nothing was stopping me from jumping off that thing. How real do you believe this command of Jesus is? How real is it to you? Is it this thing where Christ is looking you in your eyes and going, man, do you really want to be healed or not? Because if you did, why aren't you, excuse me here, but get off your butt. Get off your butt and follow. Get up. Pick up your bed. Walk. You have been healed. You've been recreated, made brand new. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Will you get up and go? Because he's done it for you already. And he's commanded us to do it already. It's so clear. It says in the next verse, verse 9, And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Those waters weren't going to do it for him anyway. But the living water, Jesus, was standing right in front of him, and he could do what those fountains never could do. They were just legend. But the real thing showed up in this guy's life, Jesus. And he goes, I got the power to do this. And he heals this guy. And look at the difference now, right? When it's real. When he sees it. When he looks Christ in the eyes and he experiences the real Jesus, it says immediately he gets up, takes his bed, and he walks. It's like me jumping off the tractor, man. The second Christ is real to you, the second he jumps into your heart and says, look, I'm here and I've healed you, we jump up. There's no coaxing involved. There's no coaching involved. There's no need for someone to get you emotionally excited to go do it because the real thing happened to your heart. And it jumps up inside of you and you say, Christ, I'm following. Let's go do this. Lord, I'm healed. I want to follow you. And all of a sudden, this is what's going to happen. Are you ready? Because it happens every time, it seems like, in the New Testament. Look what happens next. Now, that day was the Sabbath, right? (laughs) So the Jews said to the man, here they come again, most likely Pharisees. They come up and they said to this guy who was healed, "Uh, bro, it's the Sabbath. It doesn't say bro there. I added that. It's the Sabbath. And it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. What are you doing? You're breaking our law. Why are you carrying a bed? All they cared about was this breaking of this this law that they had written. Now you couldn't do things on the Sabbath. You couldn't do work. And picking up your bed was considered work. And they were so frustrated about that. They missed the entire point. The Son of God showed up, the one who made the rules, the one who wrote the law. He's here. He just healed this guy in front of their eyes, this incredible miracle. And they belittled it. They made it so small. They said, how dare you carry your bed on the Sabbath? I'm going to tell you that Satan's number one strategy for your life, for those of you guys who have been like, hey, I believe in Jesus, and now you find yourself maybe tonight laying back down, 
Spiritually, you're kind of laying down. And you're not like, man, I'm jumping off the tractor right now. I'm following Jesus. I'm just kind of laying here broken, still making excuses. Maybe Satan used this one on you to get you where you are tonight. Maybe it came along and used some people to talk you out of the miracle that happened in your heart. Maybe you lost track of just how incredible it is when Jesus shows up and makes you brand new. And you listen to those voices that said, how dare you do this? And they want to distract you. And Satan wants you to look other places than right at Jesus. (laughs) Didn't work. Didn't work for this guy. Because the real thing had happened. If you look down at verse 13, it says, Now, afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you're well. Here's what I want you to see next. Check out these next three words. Sin no more. You heard it really loud. Three microphones got you on that one. I had to make sure you heard it. Right? Jesus says to him, Sin no more. Don't miss that. It's just three simple words, right? In this big, long story, there's three simple words here. He says, sin no more. I've done a work so you don't have to sin anymore. So why do we see churches full of people going, hey, now that I'm saved and I love Jesus, I can sin all I want. I'm saved. I can go to heaven. I can party. I can do all these things. And it doesn't matter because it's really just the fact that I believed in Jesus. And so my sin and my life and the way I act, none of that really matters that much. I can push it under the rug. And Jesus said, I saved you so that you stop sinning. And he's not saying, hey, now I've made it so that you can be totally perfect for the rest of your life. We know that we're going to have to reach heaven one day and then we'll finally arrive at that place. But he still called us to say, live a life that pursues him and not sin. What happened to you when you accepted Jesus? Did you start to hate the things of the world that are sin and love Jesus more every day as you walk with him? Or do you kind of play that card where I'm good, you know, like I could sin. God doesn't care that much about this thing over here. He does. As a matter of fact, he does so much that he was willing to die on a cross over that thing over there that you're pushing under the rug. Those things that we're calling little sins matter so much that his son hung on a cross, endured the wrath of God for that little sin. So much so that he says, now that I've made you brand new, I'm asking you this. I'm asking you to do this. Sin no more. Pursue me. Leave that life that you're saying is excusable and follow me. Leave the sin behind and love me most. Want me most because of what I've done in your life and how I've changed you and made you brand new. And he says, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. It's awesome that once we really get it, we're like, man, I got to tell everybody. I'm going to go back and I'm going to let them know it was Jesus. (laughs) I need you to know tonight. I've experienced Jesus in my life. He's healed me. Jesus has taken Rob, broken Rob, and made me brand new. Taken me out of the life I used to live and said, I'm making you brand new. Am I perfect? No. I'll stand before you and admit that tonight. But I love Jesus with all my heart. 
And I know Jesus is doing a work in me to change me and cause me every day to love him more. And so this is what I want to tell you, just like this guy. I can't help but tell you he wants to do that for you too. Will you look back at him when he looks you in the eyes and says, do you want to be healed? And will you reply, yes. Jesus, do it. Do it so I can go on and sin no more. Do it so I can be totally brand new and out of this brokenness. Jesus, I want to hear from you. And then if he's done that to you tonight, if Jesus has stepped in, caused repentance in your heart against sin, will you let that be the thing that motivates you to go to other people and tell them how their brokenness can be healed? How their sin can be taken away? How that life and that mess they're laying in next to that fountain on the ground, unable to walk, can be fixed by Jesus? Because, look, he did it to me. You need proof? Look right here. You need evidence that he really does it? Look at me. He wants to do the same thing to you. I love, I'm going to read you one verse as we close. This is what I want to leave you with. I want this to be in your head, in your heart, as we come back up here and worship in just a second. This verse right here, Luke 15, 7 to 10, it says, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. If you're here tonight and you think you're you're just good, you don't need to repent, everything's fine, I don't need this Jesus you're talking about, I'm going to tell you that Jesus would say different. And as we reach that place where we turn from thinking, man, I'm good, to man, I need Jesus every day for the rest of my life, for all of eternity, I need Jesus. There is more rejoicing than you can ever imagine in heaven. And if that's you tonight, man, I want to party with you. I want to celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ is doing a work in your heart because I know what it's like because Jesus has done that for me too. Will you bow your heads with me just for one second as the band comes back up to lead us in some more worship I think there's one clear question that we're being asked from Scripture tonight, so I want us to ask it. Do you want to be healed? We you ask yourself that just in the quiet of where you are right now? Am I messing around? Am I still laying by the fountain and I'm not getting up and Jesus is offering for me to, to have a change in my life, but I'm not doing it? And what's holding you back tonight? If that's you and you're like, Rob, man, that's me. I'm laying by the fountain. I'm broken. I need Jesus. I need him to save me and forgive me of my sins. And I've never done that. And you want to know how to do that tonight. You want to be forgiven. You want to know you're saved and go into heaven when you die. Will you raise your hand tonight so we can pray for you? Just slip it up. I wanted to see your hands so I could pray for you, get your leaders to pray for you, that God would do something in you. And I want to talk to the rest of you guys. Maybe you're here tonight, you're like, I'm saved. <laughs> I did it. I've told Jesus I, I, I need him to forgive me. I've done that part. But somewhere along the line, the crowd talked to me. 
somewhere between then and now, the crowd talked to me and they distracted me and I'm laying back down somehow and I'm not getting up and jumping to action. I'm not obeying his command. I want to make disciples. I want to obey Jesus who did this for me so other people can have the same thing done in their hearts. That's me tonight, Rob. I'm not doing it, but I want to. I'm tired of messing around. When he says get up and walk, I want to do it. Will you raise your hand up tonight as a way to say, God, that's me. Look at me. Just raise your hand to God tonight and say, Lord, that's me in my heart. I want to follow you. I want to be about this thing you've asked me to do. Will you slip your hand up so I can pray for you? Raising your hand to say, look, I want to be serious about this. I'm laying down. Thank you. You guys can put your hands down. Father God, we love you so much, Lord. God, you see right in our hearts, there's none of us here tonight that can fool you. I can't fool you. I'm holding a mic on a stage that doesn't make me invisible to you, God. You see straight to my heart as I speak. Lord, I confess, I need more of that. God, make us about your mission. Excite us. Let it be so real that there's no holding us back. God, it's real in us. We believe in the gospel and we're on mission for the gospel and we want people's lives to be changed so we love them well and we tell them about who you are. God, we want that so badly. There's no holding us back. I beg you for that in me, Lord, and in this group right here, that we be a family that joins forces if we lock arms together and we get up and we be about your mission. Will you do that in us? I pray for those hands who are raised tonight, God, that they say, Lord, see me. I want to do that. Lord, will you bless them? Will you encourage them, empower them to get up and stand up and do what you're calling them to do with no reservations because they believe that you're it? Hear our worship as we get up and right now together we proclaim that you're good, God. Hear our worship. Be pleased by it, Father. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.